As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer and college football writer at The Athletic, joined once again by Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. Uh, it is J- Wednesday, January 10th, right around 1 p.m., a couple days after Michigan wins the national championship, Carlos. Uh, a day or two after Miami lands a quarterback in the transfer portal, not the guy that they wanted, not Cam Ward, not a big name, Reese well, it's a big, it, it's, it's a big name, <laughs> but not in the way you think. It's <laughs> right. a lot of a lot of consonants, a lot of consonants, a lot of vowels. Uh, Reese Poffenbarger from Albany, uh, the last good product out of Albany, some people would say, is Jared Verse. He turned out to be pretty good for Florida State. Reese Poffenbarger was the passing yards and touchdown leader at the FCS level this year. He led his team to the national semifinals. They got B fifty nine nothing. Doesn't necessarily have great numbers against great teams, but. He's another arm to bring into camp. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Michigan winning the national title. Carlos, you uh, have mentioned before that maybe Miami and Cristobal, the build here is very similar to Michigan. It took uh, Jim Harbaugh nine years to win a national title over there. Took him six to win the Big Ten. Maybe they're on similar paths. I don't know. We'll talk about that. Uh, Leonard Taylor is going to play in the Shrine Bowl. James Williams and Cam Kitchens are going to the Senior Bowl. Um Uh, I found that there was an interesting uh, tweet, by the way, related to that uh, from Jim Nagy, uh, who who said that uh, this year there are I'm going to read it right off of uh, Twitter because I retweeted him. He said the NFL released the memo today with all draft eligible underclassmen. There's only 34 names on the list uh, for underclassmen. For reference, over 140 juniors declared in 2019. He says NIL is keeping players in school. Of course, that's not the case necessarily at Miami. (laughs) We will talk about that a little bit, and we'll get into some mailbags question, mailbag questions. But, Carlos, let's start with Miami's quarterback. I know that's sort of a hot topic because there were a lot of fans really hoping to get Cam Ward. They thought maybe Will Howard is plan B. He ends up uh, signing with Ohio State. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's still a hope out there for Talia Tunga-Vailoa, the brother of Tua Tunga-Vailoa, who, who was a four-year starter at Maryland. I've told you guys many times on this podcast already he needs a waiver. Uh, I was told this week by somebody uh, that would know this information that he should be getting an answer relatively soon regarding that waiver. If he does, I think there's a very good chance he ends up at Miami. But for now, Carlos, let's talk about Reese Poffenbarger. Did you look at any film of this guy? What do you think of him as a quarterback? I have not looked at any film, to be quite honest with you, but I have looked at his numbers. And to me, it's a little disturbing that uh, I believe he was what fifty-eight and a half percent completion percentage this past year. Fifty-eight, yeah, maybe fifty, almost sixty percent for his career in the two seasons that he was a yeah, starter. Twenty-six game starter for for Albany. That's not great. Um, you know, you want a guy to be about sixty-five percent in terms of completion percentage, especially if they're playing at at the lower FCS level. You want them to be lighting it up essentially when they're coming into your, your Division One program. Um, anything under sixty-five percent is considered average. Under sixty percent is not good. And and uh, considering that he threw the ball as much as he did, having that sort of completion percentage, maybe it was drops. 
Maybe he just you know had didn't have the core around him that he needed. But even the year before, his high was sixty one and a half percent, which is still not good. It's about average, slightly above average, uh, or in that range. So that's concerning to me. He's supposed to be a good deep ball guy. Um, where he has the issues is in terms of his you know uh, ten to nineteen yard range, that medium concept range. That seems to be a problem for him. Uh, in terms of his accuracy, I'll look at look it up for you right here. So for the season last year, he was 47% on passes between 10 and 19 yards. That's mm -hmm. not very good. He was 34% on passes over 20 yards, which is good. Um, 21 of his touchdown passes came in that 20 plus range with only six interceptions. So he's a deep ball guy. He can chuck it. He could throw it down the field. Um, that wasn't the problem with TBD either. He could chuck it down the field. He could throw vertically. Right. That was his preference. The issue was when you're throwing it in the middle of the field or you're throwing it, um, you know, within that range of that zero to 10, 15, 19 yard range, and you're making bad decisions and not completing the ball enough. And that's where he seemed to have some of his issues. Most of his interceptions also came in the middle of the field, like Tyler Van Dyke, even though he had great success throwing deep over the middle. Most of his picks came uh, over the middle of the field, throwing deep at four picks. You know, uh, he also had two more picks in the middle of the field throwing short, which means zero to nine yards, which is interesting, which means he was picked a couple times probably on slants uh, or maybe in batted balls. So for me, it's it's another arm. It's a veteran guy. I think they've thrown into the mix to compete with Emery. And if, you know, obviously Jakari stays around Jakari, um, I think it's a chance to either push Emery or an insurance policy in case Emery's not ready at the start of the year for them, you know, Poffenbarger to, to get those spot starts at the beginning of the year, maybe give way to Emery when he's ready and then plug in if Emery gets injured again. It's another veteran arm to me to compete and uh, to be on the roster. I don't see him as being the guy. I think, obviously, if Tua's brother is available, that would be the guy to go after as their one-year primary starter. Um, I'm not too impressed with him either. I think he's okay. Uh, I would have preferred Cam Ward or K.J. Jefferson over the over, over Tua's brother. Um, but it is what it is at this point. The Hurricanes are where they are. They hung on to Cam Ward for a long time, waiting for a decision. They felt that was their guy, and they felt comfortable enough knowing that if they lost out on him, they had a plan B that they felt good enough to go with in terms of their own uh, arms and rosters. And again, of course, Judd Anderson's coming on board, uh, I think, in the spring as well. So you'll have uh, a complement, a full complement of quarterbacks come springtime, more or less. Uh, and, and it's either going to be Poffenbarger, Henry Williams, uh, you know, Judd Anderson, or Tua's brother if, they, if he hops on board. But for me, like I said, this guy's just a scop gap. He's another arm. He's another guy to throw in there. He's he's uh, the, the break glass in case of emergency guy, uh, in case Emery doesn't pan out or continues to be injured or can't win the job. And it is what it is. They're, they're going to hope – they're going to put their, their hopes in Judd Anderson for the following year if Emery doesn't pan out or uh, Luke Nickel, which seems to be a big-time quarterback. Well, uh, you said a lot there. Uh, a couple of things that you didn't say that I wanted to include in there just because I had it in my story. Um, he's six foot – 208 pounds, so he's not necessarily a huge guy from Middleton, uh, Maryland, Poffenbarger is. Um, sacked 71 times yeah. over two seasons. That's, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of sacks. Uh, did rush for 310 yards and eight scores, so he's not totally stationary or totally relying on an offensive line uh, having to block for him where he doesn't take off and run at all. He has scored on the run a couple times. Um, he can dunk. I put that little video up. I know a lot of Miami fans got pissed because I made a big deal of, of his dunk video of him doing some windmill jams and some reverses and this and that. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know about you, Carlos, but as a six foot fat Cuban man, I'm impressed anytime I see a, a six foot white guy dunk like that. I mean, is it not uh, impressive to you? Listen, I've been impressed with white guys that can dunk since Billy Ho and white man can jump. <laughs> <laughs> and Billy gets that final dunk at the end and in and, and the movie theater, everybody just erupts. That's right. You know, that is a crowning moment for Caucasian history. <laughs> um, yeah, it's impressive. It means he's athletic. Doesn't mean he's got pocket presence. Right. Doesn't mean he, he knows when to get rid of the football. I just looked up his time to throw numbers for this past season. His average was 2.71, which is kind of high. Tyler Van Dykes was 2.64. I mean, do with that what you will. So he hung on to the ball a lot. So I'm assuming a lot of those sacks were on him in terms of holding the ball. Um, so although he's athletic and he has this capability, he really doesn't know when to you know bail out or when to throw the ball away. He tends to hang on to it a little bit more. That's what those numbers tell me. King Reezy, who is one of our uh, listeners, uh, chipped in to our mailbag. And I'm going to steal some of this stuff now and implement it in the show more as, oh, go as ahead. we do these shows. But he said Poffenbarger is underwhelming to a lot of fans right now. It seems like a depth take since a lot of the more established QBs 
would have to compete with uh, Jakari Brown and Emery. I think you and I, that's the consensus, right? That this is somebody who's not being brought in necessarily to be the starter, but to push and compete for the job. And I think, you know, Miami put itself in a situation, unfortunately. Uh, the intel that I gathered uh, really over the last few weeks was Cam Ward told Miami multiple times he was coming and then backed off of that pledge because he wasn't really sure. And the reality is, he still could change his mind because I don't think he's officially entered his name into the draft yet, even though he's announced that he will. He also hasn't hired an agent, so he has until January 15th to back out of it if he wanted to. Miami still has a chance to get Talia Tungavailoa, as I mentioned. So uh, before you sort of bring the hammer down on Mario and said he failed this offseason to get a quarterback, also remember there's another period in April where there's a transfer portal window and there could be more options then. So I guess my point to the listeners and to the Miami fans who were disappointed, and, and I actually have an entire mailbag question uh, for a story that I wrote for The Athletic that I wanted to, to touch on here in this segment uh, that I'm going to read here in a second. But to, to provide some context for Miami fans, the fight ain't over. And it could be it could not be over until August, right? Like you could still end up having a new guy come in over the summer, a graduate transfer, and maybe that guy ends up being the starting quarterback for Miami. I get it. You, you want an easy thing. You you want K.J. Jefferson. You want Cam Ward. You want it to be easy. Uh, Miami never makes it easy, Carlos. <laughs> no. And, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think the Poffenbarger, what that shows me is Mario, again, adding another guy because he expects Jakari to leave, and he wants someone to push both Judd Anderson and Emery Williams uh, for that starting job or spot start until one of those guys is ready, until they show they're ready. Um, but at the same time, leaving the door open for a more established one-year guy that it can bring in as a as a graduate transfer or somebody that hits the portal, I feel is worthwhile. I, I think the the Cam Wardship has sailed. I think at this point, it would have uh, you know Mario might have more egg on his face bringing him in after being you know jilted. Of course, the fans will forget about it though if Cam wins. Uh, then uh, then it being a success at this point, I think Cam's made his decision. He wants the money. I think what ended up happening was you know he got his rating from the NFL in terms of what round he would go in. And he wanted more guaranteed money from Miami than the NFL slot that he received. And I don't think Miami was in that range. I think they tried one and a half. And I think he probably wanted somewhere around two. And they just backed away from the table and things didn't work out. But we'll see. Who knows, man? Stranger things have happened. And, you know, there's always change in college football. Guys always jump in the portal. Who knows who might show up and what might happen. Tate Martell might walk back through that door. <laughs> that would be something. Uh, this is a reader for The Athletic who sent this question in. And, and if you sign up for The Athletic, I, I'm not trying to sell subscriptions here. I'm just trying to tell you guys, if you do, you can participate in some of these mailbags that I do uh, for them. I did this one uh, for this Thursday. It'll be coming out Thursday, January 11th. And it's uh, statewide questions. I answer questions about Florida State, Florida, UCF, USF, Miami. Um, this is one of the questions related to Miami. Can you shed some light on Miami's struggles with quarterback recruiting? Mario Cristobal seems to have fumbled the transfer market badly. And although high school recruiting overall has been strong, high school quarterback recruiting has been terrible. This question came from George C. Again, one of our subscribers over at The Athletic. Um, here's what I'm going to do. I I, I kind of reviewed all of the quarterbacks, Carlos, that Mario has recruited as a head coach at FIU, at Oregon, and Miami. And let's face it, he doesn't have a great history recruiting quarterbacks out of the high school level okay mm -hmm. um i'm gonna go over it real quickly these are the names he got at fiu troy dannenhauer he moved to linebacker uh wesley carroll the transfer from mississippi state the hometown kid from st thomas aquinas high school started for fiu for two years that was through the transfer portal that didn't exist then it was just a transfer back home by wesley carroll cedric mcleod ended up at kent state jake medlock he started 25 games, I think, over three years at FIU. Uh, Lorenzo Hammonds and Elgin Hilliard, who started some games for FIU. So three out of the six quarterbacks he got came in and started games for FIU. None of them made the NFL. At Oregon, we know that he inherited Jake, uh, I mean, um, Justin Herbert. Okay. How, how dare you forget your man crush's name? Yes, I'm sorry. Because I, I was reading Jake Medlock for FIU and I screwed that up. Um, at Oregon, he had Tyler Shaw, who's now um, at Louisville. He's since transferred and is at Texas and was at Texas Tech before. Cale Millen, Jay Butterfield, Anthony Brown, a transfer from Boston College, and then Ty Thompson. 
All of those guys were four stars except for Anthony Brown, who was the Boston College transfer. Uh, Shao started for Oregon in 2020, the year that they uh, went or actually won the Pac-12 championship, ended up losing uh, the bowl game. Uh, but the rest of those guys, all those other four stars, did not end up starting a game at Oregon have, and have since transferred out to other schools. They're still not even uh, starting quarterbacks elsewhere. Obviously, here at Miami, he inherited Jakari Brown, who was already committed to Rhett Lashley before Rhett Lashley left for SMU, and then he signed Emery Williams and Judd Anderson. So that's Mario's track record when it comes to quarterback. Here's my response to everybody who bitches and complains about it, okay? Um, every head coach in college football, Carlos, has their specialty. Do they not? Uh, you look at um, Lincoln Riley. Awesome at recruiting quarterbacks and developing them. What is he really good at outside of that? Uh, Nick Saban coaches defensive backs at Alabama. He's awesome with elite DBs. Um, thankfully for him, he's smart enough to hire a lot of great assistant coaches, right, to help him recruit quarterback and other positions of that nature. Mario's strength is the offensive line. All right? We know that. To me, it comes down to hiring the right coordinator, having somebody who can recruit that position well. Mario's coordinators over time, the best one you could argue he had was Scott Satterfield who ended up becoming a head coach at Louisville and, and is now at Cincinnati in terms of, you know, guys that became something big after the fact. Marcus Arroyo, um, you know, some of these other guys that he's had in his past, just not necessarily known for their elite quarterback recruiting. Um, Joe awesome, Moorhead is a pretty good offensive coordinator. Joe, yes, and he's a head coach now, but and Joe Moorhead only recruited one quarterback for him. Yeah, what, what I'm saying is a, he's a he's a really good offense coordinator. So to your point, you're absolutely right. I think when it comes to quarterback, the offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach has more to do with it than the head coach. And the system is what has more to do with recruiting the quarterback than anything else, along with that coordinator quarterback coach. The issue is, um, you know, very incognito, like Mario has his hands on the offense in a way that people don't realize, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um Although I don't believe Shannon Dawson's a great fit as an office coordinator. I think he either he leaves a lot to be desired. He's a step up, obviously, from the year before from Josh Gaddis, but I don't think he is what they need at offensive coordinator. He's definitely not what they need as a quarterback's coach. Um, and that was proven to me by the fact that Jakari Brown did not improve throughout this season when he was uh, even playing with the scout team. If you're playing with the scout team, you're still doing individual with your quarterback's coach. You're still going through daily drills. You're still working on your fundamentals, which should improve your overall play as time goes on. And if you're competing against the first-team defense, you should be sharper uh, when the bullets start flying for real. And Jakari looks like the same guy he was a year ago. He did not improve. His motion hasn't changed. His accuracy hasn't changed. Accuracy hasn't changed. He's just the same guy. And that's, not, that's, that's telling of the quarterback coach. It's also telling of the quarterback coach that the guy who calls the plays and who coaches the, the guy who handles the ball the most Took It took him nine games to figure out how to try and adjust and work with his starting quarterback to get him out of a funk and stop having him turn the ball over 19 times a game, which when he finally did, Tyler played well the last couple games of the season. So why did it take so long? Why He's he's not the kind of guy, I think, as a quarterback's coach that can mentor guys, that can develop guys. He's more concentrated as being a play caller than anything else to me, and he's okay at it. I don't see him being too great at it thus far, and I think maybe some of that's Mario handcuffing him. Maybe some of that is him acquiescing tomorrow, and I think some of that is just him. Um, I think he comes into games with, with a strong plan, but then after the first half sort of just you know shits the bed, unfortunately. Um, and I think his offense lacks creativity and gets a little stagnant at times. I think somebody responded to my comment about my saying this about Shannon Dawson on Twitter by saying, you're an idiot. You want them to throw a ball 90 times a game and run trick plays every play. That's creative enough for you, Saban, and everybody else doesn't do it that way. Guy, you haven't been listening to the show ever, probably, if you uh, made that comment. What I'm saying is you use motion, you use formations, you use personnel groups in certain ways to put the defense at a disadvantage and create window dressing to fool him to think you're running something and you run something else. You could run the same play 15 different ways. And I don't see Shannon Dawson doing that. I see him, I see him running the same play the same way 15, way 15 times. So for me, yes, the issue is Mario has not landed a five-star quarterback. I don't think his coordinators have been a benefit to him in helping him land a big-time quarterback, whether it be high school recruiting or even in the portal. Um, so, you know, if he wants to land an elite quarterback – He's going to have to have an elite offensive coordinator. He thought he had that in Josh Gaddis. Unfortunately, he did not. Um, you know, Shannon Dawson, 
His first year, who does he pick up? Judd Anderson. Is he, you know, good quarterback? Yeah. Is he great? Is he elite? No, I don't think so. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. And I think, you know, again, I'm glad that we, we kind of did a little history lesson because I think Miami fans, you know, they they need to know what, what did Mario do in other places? What's been his track record? And I just think it's such a big topic. I'll say this also, Carlos, what's also hurting Miami? Miami hasn't had a former quarterback start a game or throw a pass in the NFL since 2008. Ken Dorsey. Uh, that's what. Let's do the math real quick, Carlos. That's 16 years. So none of these kids were alive the last time Miami had an NFL quarterback. Uh, let's also not. Kyle was just straight practice squad when he was with the right. And... Stephen Morris as well. Like they yeah. they were on practice squads. They never appeared in actually any games. Let's also not forget Miami's offense only averaged 26 points per game in conference play. Okay. 21 points yep. per game against ranked teams. So when the stage was largest, when they had an opportunity to impress, there was a letdown. They did not play as well as they needed to. And that's hard to sell to prospective recruits and transfers, not just at the quarterback position, but the wide receiver position. Now they recruited well at the receiver position. I give Kevin Beard a lot of credit for that. I think he's a really good salesman. I think he has a good track record of, of helping guys improve and, and, and become better players. But quarterback is just one of those positions that it's very hard to nail it. And sometimes the transfer portal is what works out best. Look at Michael Penix in Washington, the type of numbers he put mm -hmm. up. Uh, you know, J.J. McCarthy was a homegrown quarterback, but he, he didn't exactly light it up. His strength was being a caretaker. Um, and maybe that's ultimately what Miami needs in the long run under Mario, somebody who is just really good at protecting the football and leading his team to victories, kind of like Ken Dorsey was, if you think yeah. about it, Carlos. Absolutely. I mean, another guy that hit big in the portal was Joe Burrow, um, transferring over from Ohio State to LSU and blew up. You know, I, I was about to say that. I think the way that Mario can overcome the fact that he's not getting an elite quarterback is by getting a good quarterback that can manage games, that knows how to, where to go with the football, that can be smart, and continuing to do what he's doing now, which is build the offensive line to give him the opportunity, the time to be able to read the defense and get the ball to playmakers and put it in their hands and let the playmakers do the work. That's really what Miami needs to do is build that offensive line, build a skill position, guys. You can have a three-star quarterback back there as long as he knows where to go with the football and yeah. lets those guys make the plays for him. All right. This seems like the perfect point to transition to our second big uh, topic of the day, which is the Miami-Michigan comparison, right, Carlos? Something that we've talked about on this show, something you mentioned in the past that maybe this is the way Miami builds its next champion. Um I'm going to read a couple of comments off of Twitter. This one's from Al Gauthier, 508 Kane fan. Based upon Michigan's win Monday night, who needs a QB or consecutive top 10 recruiting classes? Is what we saw going to be Mario's version of Miami? Then Jason, uh, at Jason Real Hip Hop on Twitter says, when you look at the recent national champions, this crystal ball's talent acquisition and coaching ability really stack up. So, I did my homework. I know you love that. I know, I know yes. you love Manny stats here. Uh, Michigan. I just, I, just, I just sit back with a crib sheet or I, I peek over your shoulder and I get the answers. That's the way I like it. <laughs> well, Michigan's victory, okay, in the team talent composite era, right, which is really since 2015 on where 247 Sports racks, rack, racks up, you know, how many four stars and five stars you have on the roster. Uh, Michigan's team talent composite ranking for 2023 – was 14th, two spots behind Miami. They had 45 four-stars and two five-stars on the roster. That is the lowest ranking on the team talent composite among, as far as a national champion since 2015. You go backwards, Georgia was second. They had 68 combined blue chippers. 2021, Georgia was second. Uh, they had 58 or 56 combined blue chippers, Alabama in 2020. They were second uh, with 70 blue chippers. Uh, in 2019, LSU and Joe Burrow in that loaded roster, they were fifth with 51 blue chippers. Uh, Clemson in 2018, they were sixth. Third, uh, let's see here, 46 blue chippers. And then 2017, Alabama was first. 2015, Alabama was first. The next lowest to Michigan was Clemson, who was ninth in 2016. They had a total of 39 blue chippers on the roster. So uh, the moral of the story here, Carlos, is that Michigan's victory should provide hope, not only to Miami fans, but to everybody else in college football. I think that you don't have to be Georgia, Alabama, LSU, or Clemson to win the national title. But I will say 
that it only happens once every nine years. Yes. And I think you're absolutely right. So if you want to be consistent, like Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, you've got to have top five, uh, you know, power rankings in terms of your recruiting index, your talent index, uh, and top five recruiting classes. You can get away with being in Michigan once in nine years. That's a little uh, reference to to a movie. I forget the name of it. It's the one with uh, guy Michael Keaton. Yes. My mother hung me from a hook, Johnny. You want Johnny to be good, isn't it? Yeah. Once. Once. But, uh, yeah, I, look, Michigan built their team in Jim Harbaugh's identity. And I think that's what Mario's doing. He's trying to build a roster not only with stack with talent, but to his identity. And what Michigan did was pound people to death. They physically imposed their will upon them. That's what Mario wants to do. You know why? Because that is an all-weather game plan. It doesn't matter who you play, where you play them, what the conditions are. If you physically beat your opponent to death, you're going to win games because that is always going to be there for you. Your physicality, your intensity, your desire, if managed right, is always going to be there. That you know, Sometimes your passing game is going to be off. Guys are going to drop balls. Um, your quarterback's going to have a bad day. The other team might come out on fire. At the end of the day, your physicality should never change. And if you could impose your will physically on the teams, you're going to be able to use that to create a sea change in a game, shift it in your direction, and get a W, no matter what you're playing or what you're doing. So I think that's what they're doing now. But it will be a slower burn than, you know, just completely out-talenting other teams, right? So it's 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 a longer process. It requires a lot more patience, which I don't know the Miami fan base has. But it is possible. But it's just putting it in the right spots. And I think what Mario's doing, building from the inside out, is a way to go about it. Um, you know, and, and Harbaugh's done a great job of it. He's had some really solid recruiting classes, but as you said, nothing in the top five range to be able to help him compete on a consistent basis. Uh, but he still made the playoffs the last three years. Um, you know, gotten smoked a couple times, but finally got got through this past year. And it's just, again, a situation where if Mario could build the team in the way the image that he feels is the way he wants to build it, it will look like Michigan. Now, will it win a national title every year? Not necessarily, but they'll be in the hunt. I'm going to read, and, and we did this exercise a couple of weeks ago before the national championship, but I'm just going to read Michigan's starting lineup. I'm going to go player and then their star ranking. J.J. McCarthy, five-star, number 25 in his recruiting class. Blake Corum, four-star, number 129 in his recruiting class. Roman Wilson, four-star, number 354 in his recruiting class. Cornelius Johnson, four-star, number 177. That's another wide receiver. Tyler Morris, four-star, number 133 in his recruiting class. Tight end, Colston Loveland, four-star, number 302 in his recruiting class. Left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle. You had three uh, four-stars and two three-stars on the starting offensive line. Okay? Defense. Rod Moore, the free safety, three-star. Uh, Makari Page, strong safety, four-star. The cornerbacks, Mike Sanstro, three-star. Josh Wallace, unranked through the transfer portal. Will Johnson, five-star. Those are the three cornerbacks. Linebacker, Junior Colson, four-star. Michael Barrett, linebacker, three-star. Jalen Harrell, edge, four-star. Defensive tackle, nose tackle, uh, Chris Jenkins, three-star. Mason Graham, four-star. And then edge rusher, Braden McGregor, four-star. That's very similar, I think, to Miami's roster, right, in terms of what they kind of put out on the field this year. They just didn't have a five-star quarterback. I believe so. Now, what is the their classes in terms of how many years they've been in college, junior, senior? Are they well, on the roster? Yeah, I mean, uh, McGregor was 2020, so that's four years in college. Graham, two years in college. Uh, Harrell, four years. Uh, Barrett, he was in his sixth year. Junior Colson, his third year. Uh, Will Johnson, second year. The other two cornerbacks, 2019, fifth year. Uh, the two safeties, 20 and 21, so third and fourth year. And then on offense, um, McCarthy's been in college three years. 21, 22, 23, yeah, three years. Uh, Blake Corum, four years. Roman Wilson, four years. Cornelius Johnson, five years. Tyler Morris, two years. And then the tight end, two years. So only really a couple of sophomores. Like, what did I say? Like, five sophomores? And the rest yep. of them were juniors and seniors? Out of 22. So yeah. what that means is they've got grown-ass men. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, and that helps. Yeah. When you're trying to play a physical brand of football, you can't do it necessarily with freshmen and sophomores. You need older guys. You need grown-ass men. That's a grown-ass man factor when you're mm -hmm. trying to play physical football. So if you can't ta out-talent people, you need guys that have been in the system long enough, that have seen enough things, that have experienced enough within your system to know how to react and overcome and adapt, and 
that are physically big enough and strong enough to handle whatever is thrown at them. And I think that's what Michigan's built. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And I think something else that's really important to note here, Carlos, is the teams that do rank high in the team talent composite almost every single year, or we'll call them the A division, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, every single one of those programs had a down year. Just just from a comparing them to their greatest teams. So my point here is Michigan's had a good team. Like you said, they made the playoffs three years in a row. Um but they also kind of got lucky in year three that Georgia was a little off of its game, that Alabama, you know, Jalen Milrow really wasn't the starter until about halfway through the season where they kind of settled in on a quarterback. Um, Ohio State's quarterback situation wasn't great. They they weren't clicking on all cylinders. So I guess to your overall point of how this only happens once every nine years, um, I think the other thing to think about is it, that played a factor too. The fact that those programs were down. Whereas if they, if this was a Georgia team from last year or even two years ago, the one that really you know that produced all those NFL first round picks, if that was a team Michigan had to get through, I'm not sure that they're national champions. And so to your point, I think we still have to consider top five classes the priority if you're ever really going to get to be a championship level team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's there's a couple points to that. Number one. They got Alabama's best version of themselves going into that game because they they had the Alabama that was already rolling with Milrow that had figured things out that had beat Georgia in the SEC title game so they won against a quality opponent in that semifinal and you know Washington beat Texas they had beat Oregon twice they beat a good Washington team so I think Michigan you know yes they caught a couple of teams on their you know downslopes not on their their highest years of of elite play. But they still beat some pretty good programs on the way to the national championship. And I think they also benefit from that war of attrition in the SEC, where you eliminate one or the other, either Alabama or Georgia, going into the uh, into the playoff because one of them loses to the other. So that, that tends to help them. Um, the other thing is these programs can only sustain this high level of success for two, maybe three years in a row before they have to recycle again because they're they're reloading the roster. They lose like a lot of guys to the NFL. Now with the transfer portal, they're losing a lot of guys through attrition that they normally wouldn't lose. So they're yeah. having to rebuild a roster every couple of years to get back to that elite uh, level. They'll, they'll have a great recruiting class, and then it'll take a year after that for them to get back to that elite level. Um, so that's the advantage that Michigan has. They can be more consistent. They just won't have as many highs as the other programs. Um, you mentioned keeping players around, and I threw this out there at the beginning of the pod, but Leonard Taylor, James Williams, Cam Kitchens, three underclassmen that Miami loses – um, we had one of our 
followers mention this. Ultra Maga Cat, by the way, is his name on oh, Twitter. Oh, God, that's a, that's a mix between Ultra Magnus and a Thundercat. <laughs> he said, we won't be back until players of this caliber stay for their senior year. Most of the top teams year in and year out have their core stay four-plus years. Even some of their elite players, we need more players like Restrepo willing to, quote, run it back. This is the culture we need at the U. I agree in some parts, and I also disagree in others. Um, Alabama, Georgia, when you when you recruit at an elite level, Carlos, and, and I can say this coming straight out of the Under Armour All-American game where I did a bunch of interviews with guys a couple of weeks ago, the majority of these kids, when they talk about college, they're not talking about, hey, my mom wants me to graduate. This is important to my family. You know what they talk about when they sign their NIL deals? This is a three-year deal. Three years and done. Everybody yep. is thinking that way. The majority of the players, the best players in the country are going to come in thinking I'm leaving within three years. So while I think it's beautiful that you have some fourth and fifth and sixth year guys that stick around to make a run at a championship, the reality is you're only as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, faithful to your program as your options. If these kids think, hey, I can leave and go make more money in the NFL, or they think, why do I want to come back to a seven and six program? Why are they going to do that? Right. Miami doesn't have a quarterback, an established quarterback going into next season. You can make the argument. They don't even really have an established number one receiver outside of Xavier Restrepo going into next season. Right. Jacoby George has kind of had his antics. You look at the defense, both of those guys. Yeah, they could have come back, but what are you coming back to seven and six again, eight and four, nine and three. That's not a championship. So, I think it's easier to sell players on coming back when you have something big to sell them, a real chance at winning a championship versus, hey, we may or may not get a quarterback in the portal. I think the other way you could sell players is by showing them the return on investment on staying another year, right? So let's say they get an NFL grade of a fourth-round pick and they're scheduled to make you know, a $500,000 bonus. That's their only maybe two fifty if that's their guaranteed money. If you come back with something a little bit more and the opportunity to continue to develop and grow as a player and put more tape uh, out to the NFL that, that improves your draft stock, that's something you could sell to them. Then, But then to be able to do that, you have to show player development. I think this is an opportunity for Miami now. Losing guys like Cam Kitchens, like James Williams, and like Leonard Taylor, who were highly touted, highly ranked, productive at the college level, if they replace them with guys who are not that's well-known and highly touted and they end up performing better. And these guys end up developing into good players. They could point to that and say, look, we can develop guys. We can, we can create more guys like James Williams and camp kitchens and Leonard Taylor's, even if they're not as highly ranked and we can improve your draft stock. And it's worth staying an additional year because we could take you from a fourth or fifth round pick to a second or third round pick and increase your money while still giving you some money while you're here. Um, but that also is part of the culture as well. I think, Mario has recruited different guys in terms of her mindset and culture. And it's obvious because he's having top five recruiting classes after losing seasons, right? After a five and seven, after a seven and six, he has highly ranked kids coming to Miami. That's not all money because you can't pay all those guys and pay them well. They wouldn't have enough funds to do it. It's selling them on a vision of a program and them accepting that and being culturally aligned with what it is you're pitching. Because if not, they wouldn't come to this kind of a program. They have right. other options where they could play for programs that will compete immediately for a national championship, maybe develop them better, have shown better track records of development. Um, the guys that are leaving now are from that old guard that were brought on board almost as mercenaries, like, hey, help us save this program. We need you. You guys are the highest-ranked players in South Florida. Please get us out of this, this rut. Um, so sometimes it, a lot of that has to do with mindset and culture. And if the guys are aligned with what it is you're selling, if those guys don't buy what you're selling, if they're not cool with what's going on in the program anymore, if they feel like, Hey, listen, I'm about my bag and I'm not about anything else, then they'll leave. Uh, but if they're aligned with what it is your, your vision is, then they're willing to take on another year. Like even though Restrepo's not a Mario guy, culturally, he's a Mario guy. Yeah. Be interesting to see what happens going forward if they can, they can keep some of those guys around. But Carlos, I think the closer you get to a championship, the easier it is to sell that dream. Um, all right, let's get to some mailbag questions. Uh, I'm going to steal a couple of these from the one that I got for the athletic. Uh, this is a good topic. It's very clear. Cristobal can recruit and is further aided by Miami's strong NIL abilities. But at what point do the recruits look at the results thus far and lack of development, not to mention game day experience and question whether it's the right move. This is from Colin K. One of the subscribers at the athletic. 
Carlos, uh, I think you can look over at Florida and Billy Napier and look at their situation. And his and Mario's records on the field are not that different. They've each been to one bowl game in two years. Um, the difference is Billy Napier's contract. He signed a seven-year deal. And I would say Mario's 10-year contract and, and just the general progression of the program, having back-to-back top 10 recruiting classes, um, going from five and seven to seven and six versus Billy Napier, where he went like, I don't know, six wins to five wins this past year and losing his last five games. Like perception is everything. And I think for Mario, the reason why it looks better for him right now is because they went forward where Napier took, took a step back. So I think as long as Mario doesn't take a step back, recruits aren't going to start looking at Miami saying, well, where, where's this thing headed? Whereas I think that's what's happened at Florida. Listen, there's an old adage in football called you can't go broke making a profit. And what that means is you don't always have to hit a home run with a deep ball. You don't always always have to hit a big play. You can make first downs by getting three yards, four yards a pop. Um, you can uh, win games by having positive plays each play. They don't have to be all explosive as long as they're positive plays and you're not getting negative plays. Yeah. So as long as you're making forward progress, whether it's slow or quick, you know, whether it's, you know, hyper growth or whether it's just slight growth, you're growing. And I think the two recruiting classes coupled with an increase in wins, although they, they could have had one more win. We've, we've talked about that in nauseam. Um, that shows that this program is at least heading in a positive direction. It's trending forward. For Mario to be questioned, I think it's going to take them taking, like you said, a step backwards from going from like, let's say they're seven and six this year. They go back to five and seven again that would be a, a situation where now a red flag is raised. But if they're eight and five next year, you know, they finish a regular season nine and three, whatever the case may be, they continue to take, take steps forward without really even having a homegrown solidified quarterback yet. Yeah. I think that's a positive because then we're still growing with these young guys. You know, Francis Manuel this year was just a freshman. So it was right. Samson Okalola. A, a, a lot of the, the guys that are these last two top 10 classes haven't even grown into grown-ass men yet. Yeah. When they hit year three, that's when you really want to evaluate things. And year four, if they're around, then you really want to take a look at it. What is this program built? Because now you have enough depth and consistent recruiting classes to show, all right, what's the body of work? So yeah. until Mario gets, you know, starts throwing up red flags by taking steps backwards or starting to, you know, his recruiting classes slip, I think at this point, it's it's all it's all good. This is from Matthew M., another one of the subscribers at The Athletic. Do you think Miami five-star defensive tackle Justin Scott will crack the starting lineup week one? Cristobal plugged in five-star offensive tackle Francis Maui Goa from the start this past season, but I'm wondering whether Scott is physically ready to go up against power five offensive linemen. All right, my response um, to Matthew is uh, he's 6'4", 310, uh, Justin Scott is. Uh, he's built to play right away. Um, but I don't necessarily think he's a day one starter in part because Miami went out and got some transfers in CJ Clark and Marley Cook, who have some size on them, have started lots of college games. And that allows you ultimately to slow play the development of Justin Scott, which is what you would prefer than to go out there and just throw him to the wolves. Ruben Bain was in a position ultimately this year where the only reason he played as much as he did was because Akeem Mesador and Nigel e. Kelly went down yep. and you had to throw him to the fire because you had nobody else um, that had that played at that kind of a quality level. So I think as long as there's not any major injuries, you can probably scratch Scott in for 250, 300 snaps this coming season as a backup rotational type piece. Uh, yeah, I think he'll start the season as a rotational guy, but who knows if he develops into a starter towards the end of the year. Um, I think a lot – what happens a lot with younger guys, especially on the, the defensive line, is they have to play uh, totally differently than what they played in high school. It's a lot yeah. more technique-based um, at the college level than it is high school. In high school, you could just use your size and speed to just disrupt the line of scrimmage and attack the football or attack the quarterback. In college, you have gap responsibilities, and you have lanes that you need to stay within. And you have to use your hands, hips, and feet in a way that you are not used to doing in high school. So a lot of that technique takes time to learn. And once they have that down and mesh that with their physical attributes, then they can get in there and play a hell of a lot of uh, snaps and maybe even be a starter. I think maybe mid-year towards the end of the year, he might become a starter. 
All right, let's get to some mailbag questions from our Twitter followers here, Carlos. This is from Jake Campbell, the one coach soup. I love this question from Jake. Oh, Campbell soup. Are are you guys going to have Aaron Rodgers on to add a little extra buzz to the pod? LOL. Uh, kidding. Love you guys. What's the status or insight of Mark Fletcher's injury? All right, Jake. Uh, if we could afford Aaron Rodgers and we could uh, increase our reach here, we certainly would do it. We're whores. We'd do it, right, Carlos? Listen, I, I'd get naked for a bag of Twinkies right now if you wanted. <laughs> I'd get naked for some Campbell's soup, Jake. <laughs> uh, Jake, Mark Fletcher's injury, I don't have any official word. Uh, I have, you know, through back channels, I have a feeling it's not a good injury. Okay. And I've said that now for weeks. I think it's the kind of thing that's going to delay him from playing this coming season. We will see one day. And, and not to condone Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, personal habits or how he gets buzzed or whatever the case may be, but I would share yeah. a cookie or some gummies with him. <laughs> this question is from Chris Walker, C-Dub underscore 33. Do you guys think or know that Mario handcuffs Dawson on play calling? Thanks, guys. Love the show. Do I think he does? Probably. I think that's the reputation he had and he came with from Oregon, that he's going to prefer to get into a rock fight than to throw the ball over the field. But then I think back to the Texas A&M game and I say to myself, God, they threw the ball a lot in that game, Carlos. They they look good doing it too because they were playing man coverage. Yep. And then what happened was Georgia Tech was like, nah, we're just going to play zone and take Tyler Van Dyke out of his game. And that was it. And the cat was out of the bag and Miami's passing game was basically done. So do you know or think Mario handcuffs his offensive coordinators? Do I know? No. Because I, I can't know what's in Mario's head in his life because I stopped spying on him a long time ago. And they made me remove the Teddy Ruxpin I had in his room with a little camera <laughs> uh, for legal reasons. But do I think? Absolutely. Um, to me, the telling sign is we've discussed it. He's When the, the Hurricanes are on defense, his headset, his microphone is pulled up or on his, around his neck. When the offense is on the field, that headset is on, that microphone is in his mouth, and he's talking. Yep. So what does that say to me? That that gives me some evidence that he has some involvement. The other thing is, yes, they threw the ball over the field against Texas A&M, like you said, because they were playing man coverage. Um, but they also, when when they started turning the ball over, they didn't adapt. They actually constricted their offense. That speaks to me that Mario was involved. So yeah. rather than going spread or moving the ball around or trying to find some concepts that worked against the zones, what they did was they went double wing, double tight end, double wing, hammered the ball on inside zone. And that's what happens late in games with Mario. If he feels a little tension, he feels a little pressure, he feels the game's on the line, condense the sets, run the ball down their throat. That's a Mario thing. I don't think that's a Shannon Dawson air raid thing, but Dawson complies. You, I think Mario, in his hire of Dawson, um, not only hired a guy that he felt was okay with his off, the offensive philosophy that he wanted to have, where he wanted to throw the ball a little bit more, but I think he hired a guy that he could basically bully and maybe uh, be his yes man where he's not going to fight back and say, Mario, I think we need to run this. I don't care what you say. This is what's best for the offense. I think Dawson's like, all right, cool. I got to be the OC. Whatever you say, Mario. I, I think it's more reactionary. I, I think I don't think Mario sets out to him, you know, right. sort of handcuff his guy. I think it's all based on the situation. Yep. And and that's what head coaches are supposed to do, by the way. They're supposed to have input uh, if they don't trust the coordinator or if they feel like this is what the key is to win the game, right? Because in the end, it's on the co head coach to win the game. So the qu the problem is Mario sometimes gets a little too conservative, and it affects the outcome. And sometimes he forgets to take a knee. Yeah. All right. Or you this can have an OC like uh, Lane Kiffin that would give the middle finger to Nick Saban and say, I'm running whatever the hell I want. This is from uh, Asher Wildman from Spectrum News. Is If Tua's brother gets a waiver, is he back in play or is Miami done with QBs and the portal? gets the waiver he's in play all right this is from game... and that's all we need is another tool killing seasons for miami <laughs> this is from game over 419 on twitter what are we up to on the scholarship count how many more slots do we have available before we have to show someone the door to make room so i updated the list carlos we are up to 90 scholarship players right now now that doesn't include players who have yet to say that they're gone right, who are, who are either seniors or going to be seniors that have graduated, guys that are, will be going into the portal, all of those kind of things. Uh, Miami is up to nine. Do they have to show people the door? Not necessarily. Some way, shape, or form, you always get down to 85. 
All right. And I am convinced that Miami will get down to 85. So for right now, the number is at 90. It will eventually get down to 85 like it needs to be come the fall. That's all you got to worry about. Yeah. Um, this is from Spurgeon's Cigar. With the current rosters it stands today, what is the realistic over-under win total for 2024? Who's the starter for game one against the Gators? So, Carlos, January 10th, right now, without looking at anybody else's roster, not looking at anybody else in the transfer portal, what is Miami's record and who is their starting quarterback on on? You know, August thirty first. I'm going to say nine and three mm-hmm. because they should have been eight and four this year, and I think they could they could take a step forward next year. Um, so I'm going to go nine and three. And as far as quarterback is concerned, I think it's uh probably going to be, you know, as of right now, without any other transfers coming in, probably Poffenbarger. I am going to say eight and four, and I'm going to say Jakari Brown because wow. I'm always. I'm always going to go on the under with Miami. I think Jakari Brown wins the job. I think he's the best quarterback on the roster right now. Right I think now. He has the most talent, yes. Um, this is from Quent Kent. Early in the season, Carlos had issues with the offense, but said we needed a QB. A recent tweet suggests it doesn't matter who the QB is. Is the issues because the issues will still be there? Why the change? So he said, my tweet recently was that it doesn't matter who the quarterback is because the offensive coordinator, not that it doesn't matter, but the offensive coordinator doesn't do a good job of play calling for the quarterback and making it easier for him. That yes, you could have a Cam Ward, you could have a KJ Jefferson, but if your offensive coordinator is still being uh, sort of conservative and constrictive in terms of the way he runs the offense, you're still not going to get great production out of those guys. You're not going to be a very successful offense. doesn't mean you can't win games, but it doesn't mean you're going to, you're not going to be elite playing that way. So I still have an issue with the offense. I'm not inconsistent. Um, I think it's obvious that if your offensive coordinator isn't doing a good job of putting the playmakers in the best position possible and giving your quarterback the best resources and tools possible to be successful, that your offense is not going to be as good as it should be. So I don't see an inconsistency in anything I said. Sorry. All right. This is from Tyler uh, LTO Bell. Uh, can we expect another QB to come? What other potential players are we looking at getting in the portal? Uh, we've already mentioned the quarterback thing. Uh, I, I think, there are other positions. I would say safety is one of them that they would potentially look to add another piece if possible. Um, I think depending on injury situation, and we and we still don't know what those are with some of these guys who had to have surgery, et cetera, who might be out for the beginning of the year, running back, for instance, uh, with Mark Fletcher. Um, you know, maybe they have to address it that way. But I think safety to me is the one position. And I was told there will be more transfer additions um, in the weeks ahead. Um, I like it. I like it. This is from Vic Vassell, Coach Vic Four. Which freshmen have a chance to start uh, this coming season? I don't think the list is very long, Carlos. Um, I would say among the freshmen, I would say Nykar, JoJo Trader, Chance Robinson. I think any of those receivers can can get into the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't think any of the offensive linemen, other than Markel Bell, the JUCO transfer, will crack the starting lineup. Um, I would say on the defensive side, Justin Scott probably has a chance. I would say Marquise Lightfoot, maybe if there's some injuries at that position as far as edge rusher. Um, linebacker, it's hard for me to see Adarius Hayes cracking the starting lineup unless Francisco Mauigoa goes down. I think Adarius Hayes is being brought in to be the middle linebacker of the future. I think the other guys that they've got, Raul Aguirre, Bobby Washington, those guys are all going to be edge edge type guys, go out in coverage, you know, put a hand down, maybe rush the quarterback every now and then. Um, and then DBs, uh, that's obviously the position I think that has the most yep. opportunity. Uh, Zaquan Patterson, to me, I think he's a day one starter. I think that's the one kid who comes in and starts right away for Miami. I agree. I agree. I think he's the one that has the best chance of starting right away. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get close to wrapping this thing up here. A couple more questions. Um, this is from Columbus Kane. Uh, he says, I'll leave the QB questions for others. What are your thoughts on Dawson? Will he evolve and vary formations and motion? Or is this past season what we get? I think he has to evolve if they want to be successful. I think it depends on who the quarterback is going into the season. I think if it's Emery Williams or somebody else young that he doesn't trust, uh, or Mario doesn't trust, then I think it's going to continue to be the same constrictive offense that you've seen relying on the run game primarily and relying on the offensive line as as their their foundation for the offense. Um, 
but hopefully what, what they see is that they have a competent quarterback that can get the ball to playmakers in their hands and that hopefully some of these young receivers are explosive enough that they have no choice but to get the ball in their hands. You know, talking about the transfer portal, one thing I'd like to see them do is maybe add a transfer tight end, somebody that can catch the football, somebody that could be explosive and maybe give them another dimension to this offense. That is a, a very uh, a very good one, uh, Carlos. Um, I think tight end, I agree with you. That's something I would like to see them address. Having a tight end myself, I think it's a great uh, – it's a, it's a position of need. Sam Knowlton, uh, one of our loyal followers here, who would you consider as some of the best Canes since they joined the ACC, the media – the mediocrity era standouts. That sounds like an entire podcast to me. Wow. Yeah. We should just do a show on like the, the mediocrity era of Canes, the yeah. all mediocre, mediocre era Canes. I like yeah, that. The all mediocre Canes. Uh, we will do that into an entire podcast. I think, uh, Sam, thank you for the idea. Um, this is from, uh, Nick green. We kind of touched on this earlier. What are some pros and cons to pops game based on film? I watched, Pros are his ability to make plays outside of the pocket, scrambling, very accurate on the run. Cons, arm strength is a concern, forcing balls into windows that will not be there at power five levels. Your thoughts? I think we're going to table that one to when you actually get the chance to look at his film, right, Carlos? Yeah, but again, uh, the completion percentage is concerning to me, uh, no matter what level you're playing at. So yeah. that that's you'll, – you'll see in the spring what this guy's all about. This is from Armando Izaguirre, uh, AY2 Mondo. Uh, with current roster, can Miami win 10 games? I think it's debatable. I think it's more based on who their opponents are. I would say I think they can win up to 10 games, but I wouldn't bet on it. They could win 10 games if, let's say, Tua's brother's a quarterback and he plays well, um, and they're able to replace. And Zaquan Patterson steps right in at safety, and he has a, a running mate next to him that's competent as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's possible they could hit 10 games. They can win 10 games. And the last question comes in from Kelvin Harris. Oh, uh, God. Ebony, no. Ebony Lifestyles. Why do you still have a job? No one reads your articles. Thanks, I mean, Kelvin. That's, that's a question of the century, isn't it? That is the question of the century. Kelvin, uh, I think they just kind of like me, man. Maybe that's it. They just like me. And at least he has one guy paying full price to read his articles on The Athletic, even though he can get them for free by asking them to be even. And look at me. That's how supportive <laughs> I am, my friends. <laughs> Carlos, thanks for coming on. Uh, make sure to follow Carlos at MIA Ledo. Is that the new Twitter that's, handle? That's the new Twitter handle. That's I, I, I was so used to El Ledo. And, Me too. And... I, I, I had a brain fart. I didn't know what my own Twitter handle is. Yeah. Uh, make sure to follow him there. Make sure to download his podcast, the MIA All Day Pod. And to buy his shirts. How are those going? How's the sales going? Good, man. Good. So just sold a couple uh, before New Year's. So I've got to actually ship one out now today at some point uh maybe some more depending on how lazy i feel but uh yeah it's going well look got one of the hats on if you yep. guys like that let me know always available hit me up on twitter dm me and i'll give you instructions on how to secure your own mia all day gear all right uh thank you for tuning into the wide ride podcast make sure you subscribe to the athletic and to follow us here on the youtube page where you're watching us if not wherever you download your podcast make sure to hit the subscribe button all of that helps us out here uh, every single time we do an episode, we will probably be back next week. If there is news, if not, we will probably make this once every two weeks. As far as the podcast going forward, we took last week off. Carlos was down in the keys fishing. What did you catch, bro? What did you have uh, down there? You're out there. Uh, you caught like how many fish? Caught a lot of rocks. Uh, no, uh, went on a charter with the family. It was really fun. We caught, uh, I think it was 34 total fish. So we caught like 15 mangrove snappers, caught some yellow jacks, caught some porgies, caught some mackerels. They are now you, all you, digested. Yeah, I was going to say, you've been eating good from all those photos <laughs> you've been sending. Always, me. baby. I'm like Applebee's. I eat good in the neighborhood all day long. It doesn't matter. Well, and like Applebee's, I'm two for one all day, every day. You can well, get them hopefully you and I can hook up here during the uh, during the playoffs. I will be competing in my second pickleball tournament this coming weekend. I, I just came off of my first one this last weekend. I went three and two, just missed the playoffs. And I'm guessing it's because I was wearing an FSU hat while I was playing, Carlos. I was going to say, you, did you wear the pickles FSU hat? Because that might have been the problem. I did it because my teammate, Alex Plaza, who's a teacher at Hylia Miami Lakes High School, a coach, coached volleyball, a bunch of different sports there. Uh, he is an FSU grad. So I said, all right, I'm teaming up with Alex. I will support his Seminoles. He always gets a kick out of it when I wear the hat. So I said, let me support him. And then, of course, we lose at the very end. Uh, had we won that match, we would have gotten into the final. 
unfortunately weren't able to do it. So, but I got my next uh, my next tournament this coming weekend over at Miami Marine Stadium. That'll be interesting. Hopefully, the Rangers oh look at that. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be it'll be nice and fancy. I'm teaming up with Walter Villa. Uh, oh my god, former, my former editor at the Miami Herald, uh, who is a uh, little blind, so hopefully he can he he'll see the ball coming and uh, be able to hit it. So yeah, hopefully you guys are in a special division. Yeah, and for those of you guys uh, listening, if you want to give us any ideas, like my man just recently did with the all mediocre team, feel free to shoot us ideas for off season content. We're more than happy to exploit those uh, and not give you any credit. All right, we appreciate you. Thanks for tuning into the White Ride Podcast. We will see you next week. Peace. <laughs>